Welcome to the Wave Podcast on FM 91.7, WHUS stores at the top of the hour. I'm your host, Bill Trofeski, and for more, be sure to go to podcasttheway.com. Now, my guest today is Vicki Lau. Now, a little bit about her resume. She's a successful of a career in VFX when it comes to movies. That includes her work on Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Aquaman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Now, how are you doing today, Vicki? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. It's a good morning over here, and it's a good end of the day. You're over in Singapore, right? Yes. Nice. How's it going over there, especially with COVID? Uh, it's actually very normal because we managed to control the situation quite well. So, yeah, I mean, aside from people still wearing masks and it's mandatory, um, it's actually quite normal here in Singapore. Hmm, that's pretty good. We have a problem where a lot of people don't like to wear masks. As you can tell, or as you've probably heard, we've been on this continuous large wave. Yes, uh, it's, it's quite well known. Uh, everyone knows about it. <laughs> about America, where the ones everybody points to, like, oh, don't be like that. <laughs> um. Well, I yeah, I don't know. I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. All right. Um. All right. So let's get into it. What is VFX? Well, VFX is basically visual effects, and how I can describe it simply is that it's basically movie magic. So. For example, if you see like in Jurassic Park or dinosaurs, you know, those are part of the visual effects. So it's basically creating something that doesn't exist and bringing that to life in movies or films. Nice. I saw um, you actually did a TED Talk, and in that TED Talk you mentioned in The Life of Pi, they take this little blue dummy sort of doll-looking thing and they turn it into the tiger that we see. How do they do that? Well, it's quite, okay, I wouldn't say it's quite simple because it sounds simple to me, but it could, like, you know, be complex. So how it works is that um, that doll is going to be replaced by a CG tiger. And how and why the doll is required is just so that at least that the actor has something to interact with so that when they do replace it, it appears that the actor is actually touching the so-called CG tiger. At the same time, it's good to have the object or the doll um, kind of created to resemble what is supposed to be in CG so that shadows being casted like that and, and the lighting is going to be more realistic compared to just use anything uh, in replacement of the doll. I find it funny that you say it has to resemble because for the audience, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's literally just this blue little... I mean, they drew on a eye and a smiley face, I think, with the marker, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but as long as it has a shape of it, it should work. You, um, so, yeah, you worked on Guardians of the Galaxy as one of your movies. And I remember seeing that uh, Rocky Raccoon, they got a guy and they covered him in like a green mat suit. So, also, why blue in Life of Pi and why green for this guy? And does the face become an issue since that shows up? Interesting series of questions. So <laughs> on to the blue and the green. So uh, it's the blue and the green, it really depends on how the visual effects supervisor decides to coordinate that that shot. So obviously those two movies are, you know, um, well, I finished 
supervisor was, but they, I'm guessing, and I'm assuming that they have different people, usually it would be. Um, so uh, the reason why I suppose they selected that is because obviously they you know, supervisor the people. But another reason why it could be blue and green is that sometimes if your background has too much blue, then they may use green. Or sometimes if your background or what's in your shot has too much green, then they use blue. Um, the other interesting thing too about the blue and why nowadays it's mainly the green screen is that um, people with darker skin tend to have a bluish tint to them. So that's how you know, the green screen became the industry standard when it comes to like that. Okay. So I mentioned a lot of those movies that you've worked on. What um what was your work actually like in some of these movies? What kind of stuff did you actually do? Well, uh, it depends on the studio and it depends on the job. So mainly, as for me, I do visual effects, but I mainly specialize in visual effects compositing, which involves the putting things together, kind of like Photoshop, but for moving images. So what I do, again, um, so for example, on Guardians of the Galaxy, I was the stereoscopic compositor. So what I do for that particular movie uh, is basically kind of composite the layers to create that three-dimensional effect when you put on the glasses. Whereas for other movies or other TV shows I worked on, it could be a different position. So that, um, for example, Wall for the Planet of the Apes, I was a post-vis artist, which is a different type of compositor. And basically for that, I just kind of laid out the shot uh, after receiving the footage from the set itself. Have uh, kind of like a storyboard of what the visual effects would look like in the final. So you have to have a, it's not just one thing, you actually have to know a bunch of different like tricks and software things to do in your field. Yep. Right. I was going to bring this up later too, but during your TED talk, you talked a lot about virtual reality and you used the term technical artist. What is that? Well, um, technical artist is basically someone that is both well, his skills in the technical side of the crowd as well as the artistic side. So what's interesting about industry, which I noticed that a lot of people love the artistic side. Basically, they just want to do like the Photoshop, the After Effects. They don't want to even touch the, any kind of programming at all. And that's fine. You know, they have, you know, jobs for those kinds of people. Um, but a technical artist basically is a combination of both. And normally, if I have to give you an example or give the listeners an example of a goal that is very, very so-called technical artist would be a game developer. Right? A game developer not only has to understand or sometimes actually do the heavy programming themselves, but they also need to design uh, the game in order to make it you know, masterful and presentable to the average game. Okay. I can see that. And so, and some of that work that you mentioned, I saw another thing you did was uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You had to replace the logos or graffitis or kind of crop out the background characters yeah um so how's uh how's that is that really like photoshop kind of where you just take, take the image around and then you just overlap it or is it a whole different software it's a different software so photoshop doesn't really handle moving images so i believe that you want it was a long time ago when i was on that show so. i remember hearing that it's like the first season or something like that yeah exactly. so i think that was in after was it after yeah, it was in After Effects and Mocha, which is their own. Mocha is like a photo 
uh, masking, tracking kind of software. So basically, I use that to do the replacement of the that shot. Now, I know for podcasting from experience, if people want to get into it, they have to download Adobe Audition or Adobe Premiere. And that could cost like $40 a month or something like that if you don't pirate it. So if somebody wants to get into your field, like they're looking to get the VFX, what kind of software will they download or what would they first try out? Well, uh, the easiest is obviously Adobe After Effects and they do all that trial. And I won't advocate for uh, pirating it because obviously I don't want to get into trouble. <laughs> yeah, but a little, a little wink, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway, the thing is like you can try After Effects and I'm sure there are many creative ways to uh, get but yes, they do have a trial version. Um, if you want to do something more complex and use software that I use and the industry, even if you use mainly for what I do, which is compositing, it's a very niche area of visual effects, there's Nuke and they do offer free, uh, absolutely free, non-commercial version. The only issue with that is that you, you only have a set limitation to the size you can render and um, I believe you'll have a logo in that. But either way, there's a non-commercial version of the software available as well. What makes the software you use better than uh, the Adobe Effects software? Uh, well, Nuke, basically, and um, this is a lot for listeners when on Visual Effects and Nuke, it is like the explosion Nuke, the software version of it. Um, it's, it's mainly used by, I would say, about 80% of the studios out there. So if anyone is looking again to visual effects and looking specifically for a job in this field and specifically to do what I do, which is compositing, uh, definitely knowing Nuke would be uh, beneficial to increase your chances of getting a job. How long of a scene do you usually edit, and how long does it take you to edit a scene? So uh, we don't we normally work on shots, so individual shots from a scene. It could be from any scene. Um, and again, the length of time taken to edit or kind of add visual effects into those shots depends on the shot itself. It could be as long as maybe a week if it's a very complex shot. And it could be as short as maybe one hour. So it really depends on what is in the shot. So you work on like a single frame? Um, if the shot has, well, it's rare that a shot has one frame, but if the shot, let's say, has maybe um, three seconds worth of frames, which normally is rough estimate, probably about 90 frames, then yes, yeah, so I'll work on that set of frames for that one shot. Okay. And it's, a, it's an interesting career choice. How do you begin? Like, how do you get into it? Well, it basically started when I was young. Uh, when I was 14, I was given a camcorder. And uh, from there, because I was kind of a shy kid, so... When I had this camcorder, you know, it kind of became my voice as a tool of self-expression. So from there, it went to video editing because, you know, I could edit the things I shot. And then eventually that kind of transitioned into visual effects. So that's how that happened. Okay. So you, like, film your own, like, small movies and then edit it? Yeah. So what I did was I went out there and filmed nature and birds and random stuff happening in Singapore. <laughs> And then I uh, would edit this into like a weird music video montage. Kind of interesting because back then uh, there was only Windows Movie Maker. So that was fun. Uh, but yeah. 
look at uh, your IM, wait, IMBD, the, uh, that website. So it said that really early on, you like to do voice acting too. What made you uh, turn away from that? Or do you still do that? <laughs> I do a little bit of research. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, so it wasn't that I turned away from it. It's just that it's not something that. It's, it, okay, so how I see is that if I can enjoy many things. I actually love visual effects. I can like voice okay, I can like singing and nothing, but it doesn't mean that I want to make that into my like final pathway or career. So it wasn't the fact that I turned away from it. It's just that it never materialized because it never materialized. Um, and my, I guess my passion for visual effects was bigger than all the other passions I had at the time. Uh, as, as for the other part of the question, which I believe was what made me get into it, well, it's again another form of self-expression. It's kind of fun, you know. Um, some like you know being a quiet kid, no one, no one talks to you, you kind of talk to yourself with voice. <laughs> That's pretty fun. So yeah. Okay, and I saw also that. You said um, in the podcast I heard that art isn't too well respected in Asian cultures. So, was there like a tough barrier to overcome? Um, uh, well, no, I don't think I overcame it here. It's because I left the country, which is why it wasn't really an issue. Um, but I would imagine, and I don't know for sure, because again, I've never actually had to do this in Singapore. But having spoken to a few people who are filmmakers in Singapore, um, I would say that they did describe that, you know, it's still not taken seriously, and mainly because, and it's understandable because, you know, if you compare an artist with a doctor, it's an unfair comparison, but you know, obviously, a doctor is something else. But yeah, in the culture, you definitely don't see prioritize much as highly as the Western I think it was Robin Williams who said engineers, doctors, scientists are all jobs we need, but being an artist or something along that field is why we live. Huh. Yeah, it seems kind of corny when I say it, but I thought it was a good quote. <laughs> it is a good quote. And I really, I think that, yeah, that's definitely very true. Very true. It's just that, in the, especially in the culture, they just don't see that way. And I think we can't really blame it. It's just the culture and the way it's for centuries. They, they are starting to open up, but in general, it's still like, yeah. Well, hopefully improve some more. So that comparison of, say, a doctor versus your field of work, how much money do you expect to make? It depends on your portfolio and your experience. Um, so it's funny because there was a local interview that Try to do a glass door, you know, glass door the site where everyone is watching salary. They try to kind of pin a salary on you, but that wasn't work. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, it really depends on your portfolio and your experience. There is no set answer. Yeah, there is a range, but it isn't a set answer. But when you compare to a doctor, obviously a doctor is It's very evident. And I know for a fact that doctors do make more than almost any other position in the effect. Really, even when you're working on those big uh, budget movies like, say, Marvel or any of those? Yeah, because the, the misconception about visual effects, that even though I was on really big movies, is that we don't get box office profits. So we get, it's like an off, well, not by the way, it's like an office job, but 
we get uh, the payment up front, regardless of how well we get them due. Okay, interesting. But does the uh, does the budget impact anything else? Like maybe they give you better. I mean, I guess you use just a software, like a few softwares, but do they give you anything better with a higher budget? What do you mean by better? I guess, I don't know, if like the film has a higher budget, do, is there anything different versus a film with a lower budget on your end? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, because they spend their other things. Uh, and, and I, I know it's because also I'm like, a, I and I've worked at, a little bit outside the box, but Yeah, but anyway, um, no, because they spend it on the things like actors. They try to get the highest case out of ten. For low budget, same thing. They'll spend it on the things that they believe they need. And it's kind of sad because it's visual effects and sound. They always put um, like way in the back compared to everything else. So yeah, so it really it doesn't matter whether the budget is high or low. It's still it's still thing. Did you ever get you know what a Easter egg is in movies, right? Yeah. Did you ever get to edit any Easter eggs in? No, it's not really a thing. <laughs> it's not really a thing because they, uh, they're quite strict in, in doing the shot, so they won't be ready to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. You don't want to risk your whole career getting jeopardized. <laughs> well, that, but also at the same time, the supervisors will catch those. It's, it's just you can't do that because it's not really, unless you're very close to the director, but the thing is, we're not even that close to the director visual effects don't touch them, so supervisors will catch on to that, and they have to inside their job. Do you have any history working with uh, animation? Um, no, only like short films, one or two, that's really about it. Okay. Now, before you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a few terms, and for example, I heard in another podcast you did road scoping before. What are some other VFX terms that the audience wouldn't know about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. There's some things I'm posting. Well, I mean, I'm sure people know what, well, they probably know what animating is. Uh, there's rigging, there's texturing, yeah, people probably know what modeling is. Um, what are these terms? There's so many terms. Uh, there's a lot of terms, like motion capture, maybe something like that. So yeah, there's really a lot of terms. I could list them all, but so <laughs> if somebody were to just get into the industry, those are some things they could first look at. Yeah. Okay. And so like, using a real example, I know like podcasting school, my friend takes a course journalism for podcasting and they don't teach him virtually anything except, I don't even know. He, I just asked him, he says, we really don't learn anything except maybe Joe Rogan. <laughs> And my friend who does, uh, I don't know if it's BFX, but you um, uh, you ever see a basketball game or a sport game and they'll do the edits before the game, like everybody get hype and they'll play the music as the guys song or do some crazy tricks? Oh, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he does stuff like, he does the opener for UConn's basketball games or he's going to start working with ESPN soon. So something that we each found was school doesn't really teach too much versus your own research and finding out so for uh now you graduated summa cum laude so you did good with school to say the least <laughs> but how um how much of it was personal education versus what the school taught you 
very good question. Um, I would say it's mixed. Now, again, I understand the argument for, you know, not going to school and actually learning things on your own. At the same time, um, school does provide you with the kind of like the safe playground to experiment and make all the mistakes you want. So I would say to answer your question, it's a 50-50 split. Half of it, yes, I, you know, stuff like that. But the other half, I would not say and I would not discount that school was useless because to me, it, was, it really depends on how you use that Okay. So what's the hardest edit you've ever worked on? Uh, Again, I know I keep like asking terms and having you mention a bunch of terms, but on your um, web page, you mentioned volumetric composition, and then there's this video. Yeah, so um, the video of the cowboy on the horse and it keeps sliding around. Can you um tell a little bit about that? Definitely. So that was a project for Intel, um, and volumetric um, volumetric composition is basically composite, which is what I would do by using. For the data, so that data. So what they do, and I don't know for sure, but I'm not because it's kind of the aspect of how they set this up. Is they capture a volumetric cloud of that cowboy scene that you're talking about. So uh, what we do at Compositors is we have to clean up the data and um, kind of fix it to post when there was no workflow established for that kind of thing at the time yet. So it was a team of three. And all three of, uh, of us, myself included, um, were basically working in the dark. And it was pretty cool because basically we're like the new people experimenting with things. Um, so, yeah. Okay. You've uh, worked on many films, like we said. What's the, did anything really interesting ever happen? What do you mean by interesting? <laughs> I guess what I, well, I guess what I'd refer to is you said you met David Morrissey, the uh, governor from The Walking Dead. Oh, where did I say that? And how did you find <laughs> <laughs> The same way, um, it was the podcast. I think the podcast of the people it was called. Oh, okay, yes. Okay. I thought it was, I was like, wait, when did I put that picture out there? Because I know I did not. <laughs> yes, I did meet him. Um, it was actually at a convention, so that was pretty cool. So I just told him, hey, you know, I did a visual effect on um, season four. And they like, oh, okay, that's cool. But again, like, obviously, Like 
being super mean or dismissive. So I was like, oh, that's nice. So yeah, I think I would say, um, you know, to have something like that happen to you and not be mean, that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, I bet, like, if I were in that position, I'd love the attention I'd make. Oh, great, people recognize my work. But I feel like after a while, it could get repetitive. Like, do you know who John Cena is? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a video that went around the internet the other day where, again, like, he's a big name. A lot of people know of him. So this guy just pulled out his camera, started recording, and go, walked right up to him, like, John Cena, like, John, like getting his face. And it's just like, yeah, John Cena, like, the way he approaches it, he's very respectful. He's very, like, but he mentions, oh, thanks for asking if you can record me, or thanks, like, mentioning that as in, the guy never even asked to start recording him and just instantly got in his face. So I could see stuff like that getting kind of, you got to be respectful, but I could see eventually getting like, hey, can you guys be respectful back? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a conundrum. Kind of Another thing I heard too was that you have to work 80 hours a week at times. Yeah. What, um, what did that look like? Why 80 hours a week? Uh, so that's not really a choice if you want to keep your job. <laughs> so, so that's why when you asked why, I was like, well, it's not really a choice. And and that, how, how did that look like? Well, it was basically at a big studio, and this is a really big studio, so they, they can do that and get away with it. Um, so what happened is that they had people in shifts, and basically you're working Monday to Sunday, uh, and you just divide 80 hours by those, I forgot how long this thing was, but you divide 80 hours by those seven days, and there you go. <laughs> so yeah, there was two shifts. I believe one was from morning till like afternoon, and then another one was afternoon till 2 a.m. Uh, so yeah. So if somebody's came to this field, it's not all like fun editing. You will actually have some tiresome hours in. You, you have a lot of tiresome hours for sure. I guarantee you, there is no such but. <laughs>
one, but that is my own project. So definitely, I would support that. <laughs> so, so yeah. So the. But yeah. Okay. So these team projects, it's very, what does that look like? It's, is it like, hey, you need to work on the motion graphics or you need to work on the sound work and they all work on the same scene? What does that look like? If you're talking about the film, it, it would already be scheduled and organized. So um, let's say, okay, let's say the shot is selected, the edit is so the edit is long. So, so I mean, then there's not going to be any changes uh, for the way so then that same cut will go to the sound department, that same cut will go to the visual effects department, and obviously they'll get into visual shots, visual effects, sound, they don't need visual shots. So they'll do the work simultaneously, and then, you know, the director, producer, or folks will review uh, both work at the same time. Okay. Now, do you know what the Wilhelm scream is? Say that again? I hope I'm saying the name right, but the Wilhelm scream. Um, I know. All right. Well, if it plays right, or you can hear it through the microphone, this should be the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> Have you heard that before? Yes. Yeah. So I listen to a podcast. It's called Twenty Thousand Hertz. Uh, a lot over the summer, great podcast. And what they do is they take a sound, like say the Netflix intro or the Wilhelm scream, and they spend the whole episode talking about its background. Now, the Wilhelm scream for the uh, audience, too, is what you just heard, where it was an old Western movie, and the guy gets shot, and it's just it was just, like, known as this real funny scream. So from then on out, Quentin Tarantino and a bunch of other producers would throw that scene, like Star Wars 2, even. They just try and throw that scream in wherever they can as, like, this inner circle, like, joke they all do. Yeah, a little fun fact. For everybody, I recommend watching that little scene. Three seconds long, it's just, it's just such a funny scream. Apparently, they had to retake it three times, and that was the one they just decided was the best. <laughs> huh, that is very, that is an interesting history that would not have done. The fun fact of the day. Okay, so I'm going to move forward on to what you mentioned in your TED Talk, which is virtual reality. Now, actually, wait, no, no, no. Before I do that, Bring it back again. What was your first job in VFX? My first official job is walking um, So I was an intern, but I believe on the second day of my internship itself, I apparently, according to them, that was I was so good that they gave me real shots. So yeah, that was my first job. You said first official, so you do like a bunch of like small side projects to boost the resume before that. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, okay, the definition for me when I say official is like in Hollywood, like you officially kind of break in that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, obviously I've worked on you know, some projects and stuff like that when I was in school and Singapore. So, yeah. You said they um, mentioned that like you were so good that they took you in. What? Uh, no, I said I was so good that on the second day, I, had, I got a chance to work on real stuff. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, my mistake. But in your field of work, what makes your work so good? What makes it like, or what makes it stand out versus the competition? Oh, good question. Um, man, um, at the time, I suppose because because number one, I'm coming from another country, so they wouldn't expect me to see this caliber from someone from another country. 
So number two, I suppose, is, is the fact that while I've not sought an official, I again, this is my first job, so I've never worked on any official Hollywood productions at the time. So even then alone, I guess the two projects that I worked on was good, some of the visual effects I did for them, and that their films were good as well. Um, so yeah, so I would say it's also how the shots are presented, and if you happen to work on good projects, the film, it actually helps. Hmm. Okay. Now, okay, so moving on to virtual reality. For the audience, uh, you did a TED Talk, and it was called Shifting Realities. I'll leave a link in the description for the audience, too, but for those on the radio, Shifting Realities is a good one. And so first, how did you get into virtual reality when you already have a career in VFX? So that was an interesting story. Basically, I um, there was a long period in visual effects freelancing where, you know, um, and it's something I never experienced before. Like, I didn't know that there was going to be a break between. So I got this job offer from San Francisco tech startup. So I went over there, uh, and I worked over there, and I realized I just don't like the dull, boring job. It just happened in the business I was there. It was really boring. It wasn't a design. It wasn't a startup. So, um, when I was looking for a job back in Los Angeles, this VR startup reached out to me saying, hey, you know, we saw your resume, we saw your whatever, and we want to kind of have you try to do this VR thing for us. And I was like, well, I didn't really care about VR. Honestly, I actually don't even, I didn't even look into it, so I don't even know what's happening with VR at the time. And I was like, well, I don't like this San Francisco thing. I do want to go back to LA. So I was like, yeah, why not? So I took it, and then that's how everything kind of you know, that was history from there. So, so, yeah, it was an accident, but it was a happy end. What are you doing more now, VR or VFX? Uh, I would say both. It's still the same. It's equal. They're both equal. Which one do you like more or equal again? I like VR more. <laughs> I, I like VR more. Uh, mainly because I get other skills, which I don't get to get like my programs. So, yeah, I don't It's like you got to choose which of your two kids. Which one do you like more? Oh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. And actually, you said programming. That was my next question. So what kind of programming do you use? Uh, let's see. Languages that I know. C++, C Sharp, Java. And then some of these are not programming. Like some, some of them are scripting languages like Python, Mel. <laughs> Hi, Mel. Okay, yeah, basically like six or seven. But yeah, so those are just some kind of programming and scripting languages that I know. You said uh, Python. I'm a mechanical engineer, so I have to take a course on Python. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I'll just, I mean, congrats with what you do, but computer science is my complete worst pride, my worst understanding, my worst. That was the hardest class I've ever taken by far. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get it. Like it's a lot. It's, it's, it's kind of not surprised too because a lot of people don't think like I think which is normal. You know, not, like it's just that's why I say even in visual effects, most people don't don't want to touch that, and it's totally fine. So, so yeah, like I can I can I can understand your pain to an extent. You ever have a you? Are right, you all done? You finish? You run the program? there's an error, so then you have to just go through everything to find some small little typo? Um, yes, but I 
I think for me, because the way I organized it, it wasn't that. I like to put a lot of comments. Like I comment the entire crap out of my code, so it's easy for me to find an error. But yes, I've been commenting, and then I also try to find the error. Um, and yeah. So. One thing you mentioned in the, the TED talk, or one of the stats that came up, by 2025, the video game VR will be a $11.6 billion industry, healthcare 5.1 billion, life offense 4.1 billion, et cetera, et cetera. So when will we start seeing VR actually like everywhere kind of? Uh, man, people are asking their question again. <laughs> Very hard to, to predict the future, which is true. Even you know, I was thinking, wait, so I said that that was 2015. Now it's like 2021 or 2020. Um, we want the year to be over with COVID, but not yet. Yeah, I'm thinking like it's now 2021, but um, but yeah, I guess it's hard to predict. It does take time. You know, it's just, it's going to be very difficult. So every time when I try to predict, it'll, it'll probably change. Although I think my last estimation. At a different conference where I was talking about VR was like probably in, I'm not going to give an exact year, but in 10 years or 10 to 20 years from that time, so probably 2030 or 2040, or maybe even just like in between there around the period. Again, the country. <laughs> I can see that because I feel like we always hear, oh, VR is the next big thing that's really about pop, like become huge. And I can't see it not. Like it seems like there's just so much stuff for it to be used for. But yeah, that day just keeps getting kind of pushed back. Yeah, it just takes a while. And it also depends on content, what it's for. What's holding it back right now? What's the biggest struggle for it? Uh, definitely uh, more utility and content, basically what I mentioned before. So content, we're talking about entertainment. Plus the film industry is looking to this stuff like that. Uh, it's, just, it's just not sustainable to just have specific content and it's not useful uh, for the medium of yeah. For example, VR yeah, film. Just put it on, you just look around and then that's it. Like it's not gonna really care they want to go back and look at it. So that's an issue, you know. Um if there's no if it's just like a pure watching experience which defeats the purpose of VR. Yeah. Um the other part or the other aspect is basically it's not useful enough for people to want to integrate it into their normal life. It's not like a phone. So for example, you know, we just if somebody doesn't have a phone, they they kind of feel lost. <laughs> like their identity is gone on the phone. But VR is not at a stage yet where we could say, oh, if, if I don't have my VR device, I'm going to feel lost. No, it's so, so yeah. Yeah, I can't go a good hour without my phone. <laughs> you mentioned it too, Gamba, a second ago, which was also my next question, was uh, VR movies. When will that be a thing, or will that ever be a thing? Where you're kind of like in the film, looking around? Uh, that is trying to be a thing. <laughs> trying to be. Not, to me, it's not really succeeding. Um, I mean, the only effective ones, so-called VR films, are the ones where you have a kind of an interactive component to it. But other than that, even then, it's not really long-lasting. It's not that sustainable. So I wouldn't say, I would also give it the same time frame of, well, maybe a little bit shorter of the time frame of when it takes to get that point, um, probably seven years or so. But just again, the prediction could be wrong, could be earlier. Um, but yeah, I'm not seeing any utility for that right now. Okay. 
The closest I've seen was, uh, well, I never saw the movie. It was on Redbox, but it was called Hitman or something like that, where the whole movie took place from the, he was a spy or like an agent, like 007. And the whole movie took place from like his view. So I guess like as that, all the action's going on, we're supposed to be watching through his eyes. I was thinking like, that could be a fun VR movie. Something like that if they adapted it. But you said, um, so you worked on it, your own VR uh, game, uh, video game, sort of. What uh, What is that, or what can you tell me about that? Uh, basically, it's a virtual reality experience where you get to recreate the reality of the reality. I guess tagline of the reality. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like useful. Um, so yeah, so essentially the user gets to kind of create their own reality virtual space. Um, Or science, or math, 
know, it's just that when it comes to specifically visual sex, it is a It's not something that's a definite death sentence to someone who's specialized. Whether it's um, based on my experience on, you know, people I've seen or with us that survive an industry and those things. So, Elon Musk is a big, a big advocate for it. But do you think we're all in a virtual reality scenario? We're all in the Matrix right now. I don't really have a comment for that. <laughs> I mean, you don't know the solution to that question? Uh, it's not that. Well, I wouldn't say it's a solution. It's more like an opinion, right? It's whether it's a yes or a no answer, and then I have to explain myself. So I don't really have a an opinion on it. Actually, I'm quite neutral. To me, it doesn't matter whether I'm in the Matrix or whether I'm not. <laughs> I did a philosophy episode a few episodes ago, and one of the things was like, oh, it doesn't matter what's going on or what's not going on, just focus on yourself or your own life. So it kind of sounded like that. Yeah, well, and in a, in a way, it's, even if you are in a mission, you can't really control it. So. That's true. So, and you said uh, in that same TED Talk, creative and technical, I mentioned it earlier with technical artists, but with VR, Creative and technical jobs are combining, and back in 2016, 30 of the last 50 jobs were looking for people with creative and technical jobs. Is there anything in that department you want to add on? Nope, I just I think I said it exactly the way it should be said. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So I think I'm actually out of questions. Is there any um Is there any final message or any final thing you want to say to the audience? Uh, I mean, if anyone is interested in learning visual effects, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, then, thank you very much for coming out. Yeah, thank you so much. For the audience, this is the Way Podcast on FM 91.7, WHS Stories at the top of the hour. And for more, be sure to go to podcasttheway.com. Again, that's podcasttheway.com. And as always, deuces.